Välkommen till Freuds Toolbox, skolans inspirationspodd med fokus på känslor, relationer, lärande och ledarskap. Tillsammans med Kenneth Freud får du inspireras av och lära av nationellt och internationellt ledande experter på evidensbaserat lärande och ledarskap. Hi everyone, today we will talk about a, a common challenge but also an opportunity. Many of your teachers would like to have a colleague in their classroom and don't be alone. And I know in, in many schools in Sweden, in my school as well, quite often we have two adults in the classroom. Often teachers, sometimes a teacher, a special education teacher, sometimes an assistant. But uh, maybe sometimes one plus one will become one and a half or less, but maybe it could be more than two. So I learned a little bit about an area called co-teaching. And I think that is really important for all the teachers in Sweden to learn about. And what is better than to have one of the, the world leaders in the area. Therefore, the guest today is Professor Wendy Murawski. So very welcome, Wendy. Thank you. I appreciate being here. And I always love to be invited to talk about co-teaching. Yeah. Could you explain what is, what is the difference between just being two adults in the classroom and co-teaching? Absolutely. We frequently find that even people who have heard about co-teaching think that just putting two adults in the room will equal, like you said before, that one plus one will equal two or more. And yet if they have no idea what co-teaching is or have had no training or professional development, then they result or resort to just doing what they've always done, which is one person takes the lead and teaches the children. And the other one just kind of stands and waits or does administrative tasks until it feels like it's their turn. And that is absolutely not what co-teaching is about. So the definition of co-teaching is where we have two or more adults, but specifically credentialed or certificated professional adults who are working together with a diverse group of students in an inclusive class, and they are co-planning the lesson together. That's important. They're co-instructing it using a lot of flexible grouping, and then they're co-assessing and co-reflecting. Did it work? Did it not? How could we do a better job? So ultimately, These two people are bringing in their areas of expertise. If it's a typical classroom teacher and a special education teacher, or if it's two classroom teachers or two special ed teachers, um, or in some countries, as we were discussing earlier, like in Denmark, they have pedagogues. And so the pedagogue would also be a professional. So it's not just having an assistant in the room or a teacher's assistant or a volunteer. It's really two people who have expertise Um, can I, I know your areas of expertise in motor development. So for example, if you and I co-taught a class, maybe it's only one class. It doesn't have to be all year, but you and I in planning, you would bring in so many more ideas about 
kinesthetic movement and grouping and different ways kids could sit and, and develop their, their uh, motor skills that I would ever know. And then ultimately the goal would be that even when you left, I've learned something and you've learned something about the class that we taught together. So that's the goal. Yeah, but when you talk to teachers and you come with something new, they say, mm, we don't have time. It's a sort of an extra effort. Uh, what should I tell them then? <laughs> first of all, I'd say... Through teaching. Why? Why yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the first thing related to time is absolutely right. We're all exhausted. We're all working hard. So the issue of time, uh, it's not a Swedish thing. It's not an American thing. It's a teacher thing. We're all working very, very hard. Um, so I wouldn't minimize that. But at the same time, I don't think it's co-teaching that would be causing the extra time. In fact, when you and I, I'll use us as examples, mm -hmm. but when we start to get to know one another and know our skills and our strategies and our strengths, it actually reduces the amount of time because we now have two people to plan, two people to get materials. If there's a child in the class that is just driving me insane or that child and I just don't seem to get along as well, maybe you can swoop in and the child would get along with you or listen to what you're asking, or you give me more strategies for working with that student. So in the beginning, I absolutely agree. We have to get to know each other. We have to spend some time planning our lessons and learning the curriculum. So in the beginning, it does take some time, but there are a lot of technological tools that people use. The most common one is Google Docs. Yeah. But lots of different ways that we don't have to be doing it face-to-face -face all of the time. And we have lots of other strategies for finding some time for teachers to get together. But ultimately, why co-teaching is we do a better job. You know, that whole idea of two heads are better than one. Yeah. Well, in a classroom, teachers are known for having, you know, eyes in the back of their head. So yeah. now imagine we have eight sets <laughs> or four sets, but eight eyes watching kids Students don't have to wait as long to get their questions answered. Um, and we're building our own. I love your toolbox analogy. We're building our toolboxes by learning from one another. And that, those skills that we build and that we learn from are ones that we continue to take into classes, even when we're solo teaching. So does that mean that two co-teachers should be diverse, not so to be copies, copies of each other then? if you would like to add competence. Yeah, that is, I mean, that's great. And that is typically where we're seeing a lot of co-teaching in the United States. Funding comes typically from special education. So we have a law, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Improvement Act. And so a lot of our co-teaching is a special ed teacher and a general ed teacher many times for that reason. And they bring in their diverse areas of expertise. But I have also seen some general education teachers, like two math teachers, two kindergarten teachers, et cetera, co-teach because their background, even if they both have the same content expertise, yeah. they're still diverse people. They have different yeah. cultures, languages, interests. So I think the primary goal is to say, what is it we're trying to accomplish for students? And then if we are both willing to let our egos aside, and sit down and plan so that we, and another term, um, Kenneth, I don't know if your audience is familiar with universal design for learning or UDL. Yeah. 
but yes. yeah, a more little and bit more coming in Sweden as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I, I've authored a book on that as well, but, um, the reason I always like bringing it up is that the more that both of us, who, whoever we are as adults, as teachers, um, the more we really embrace the idea that all children learn differently and we want to reduce barriers and we want to increase access, then sitting down and planning together is where we can proactively do that. So we don't wait for students to fail. We don't wait to see, okay, who didn't learn this? Who needs additional vocabulary support or behavioral support? And then pull them out where now they're missing more content and more time with their peers. But proactively, if we can start planning different ways for them to be successful, and we have two people to do it, so we can do lots of small groups, we can do large groups, small group, we can do two equally sized groups, we can do stations or centers. Because there are two of us, we have a lot more options for kids to be successful. Yeah, so you would suggest if you have two people, it's better. Sometimes teachers would like to have two small classes instead of uh, being together in the same classroom. Yeah, so. if you have two classrooms available, yeah. the option is to break up occasionally. And sure, I'll take half of mine into that other space and you take half of yours. But what we don't want is for them to think, okay, now I have my own class and you have your own class forever because mm. we're removing all of those options of us doing stations, of us finding ways, perhaps you explain things in a way that's better than I do. So even a whole group where you're explaining and I'm preparing stuff for a lab later or letting kids have a chance to be with other children in that larger group so that they have more social connections. And it's not just, I have to be my solo teacher, even though I have a smaller class size, I have way fewer options for differentiation. And with two of us in the room, we can differentiate to meet those needs. Again, but if you have another space, I yeah. always think that's lovely for doing more of these creative activities. Yeah. And often when you have two teachers working together, at least in Sweden, if it's uh, the older grades, like for us, grade seven, eight, nine, uh, quite often we end up with a sort of co-teacher with two, two persons in the same classroom with different people not the same person all the time how much and that of course then you have need to have more time for planning not to be the same person it's, it's not as easy how many yes. do you think can you work with can you yeah course, that's I understand the best question. is one but uh, right yeah. right yeah that's an excellent question and it the reality is the more partners i have the more difficult it is ah. because it's co-plan co-instruct co-assess um, so part of what I might want to do in situations like that is if it's possible, have multiple people together. So if, if there's three or four of us that might be working at any time, could we find a time we can all do some general planning or yeah. we at least all have input into a Google doc? Um, and even if say we only have one hour a week, then maybe I'm meeting with one person for half an hour and the other person for half an hour, but the more continuity we could have. So what are things that we could do? So maybe, for example, we know we're going to do stations often. And if we could create some general uh, thematic stations, so even if I'm with you or I'm with a different partner or another partner, 
Maybe we have a station that's always vocabulary. We have a station that is always a writing station. We have a station that is always like a kinesthetic, active, maybe even a mystery box that, you know, the students open the box and then they have to do what's inside. So it reduces the amount of planning we have because we all have agreed we're going to have these types of stations. Now, what we do in those stations will change frequently. But the more consistency we can have to say, hey, how about I'm always the person who creates a warm-up activity for the first five minutes of class, no matter who I'm with. And somebody else says, okay, I will always be in charge of updating the website, or I'll always be in charge of any photocopies we need. We can work collaboratively to divide tasks so that it doesn't feel so onerous. That sounds sort of smart also for the students, because if they are familiar with the system, you reduce sort of the load of the working memory. They can use that to learn, not to know what to do. Exactly. And we we have what I call structure with flexibility. We don't want to always feel like, okay, Tuesdays are always parallel and Wednesdays are always stations because our content doesn't always work to that. But if they've already been taught how stations work, if they've been taught how we do certain things and that there's a there's structure, we will always have a five to 10 minute warm up thing. Now, what yeah. it is different, we will always have something five to 10 minutes at the end of the class where we're going to do like checking comprehension. Yeah. The activity may differ, but they know what to expect. And the same thing with the stations. Yeah. Then we have to be creative of like, what should we do for vocabulary this time? But they know there's a vocabulary station. Yeah. Um, The other thing is that the more we can teach students about peer-mediated interventions, so how the students help each other. Yeah. So, for example, I know that there are a lot of um, Swedish learners, for example, so language learners, second language learners who come from other countries. If the students get used to that, if they're in an independent work area, that if they see a vocabulary word, they automatically define it for their peers. You know, just to say, oh, here's a new word. You know, does everybody know it? If not, let let me bring it up. Or how they help peers with behavior if they have children with autism or behavior issues. But the more we can teach kids how to respond to support their peers when we're not there, even when there's two people and adults in the room, the more they're going to take those skills out into the real world. And the real world is very inclusive. We're not as inclusive as we want it to be, but that's the goal. Yeah. That's the goal. So if you would give advice to like uh, people like myself, like your principal, that, that would like to, mm, I would like to go on, I would like to try co-teaching at my school. Uh, what do I need to think about to, to make it be successful? Oh, there are a few things. Um, yeah. One thing I would say, the first thing is probably making sure that you have a very collaborative culture at your school, I think principals have a big say in that. So what types of activities are you doing already so that the adults in your school like to work together? They want yeah. to work together. They are already reaching out and asking for help and not thinking that they have to do it alone. Mm-hmm. If they have a, a siloed kind of environment where they feel like I shut the door and I do it all on my own, it's going to be harder for co-teaching to take hold in that school. Yeah. Then I would also do some type of professional development on what co-teaching is. Um, I can give you, Kenneth, a, a 
Padlet and a website and books and stuff, and you can put resources up on your um, program. But the more they understand what it could look like, the more people get excited. And then if possible, getting volunteers rather than telling people what to do, that always yeah. helps. It's not always possible because some schools are small. There might only be one special education teacher. Yeah. And it also depends where the kids are and who needs it. But if teachers can volunteer and find people they already have a nice connection with, this isn't like a reading uh, intervention where you do it with fidelity and you get the results. This relates a lot to personalities. And so yeah. we frequently call it a co-teaching marriage. And you want to yeah. have people who, who want to be working together. Um, so I think that's really important. Getting some professional development. They could do a book study about it to talk about what it should look like, look at videos. Um, and then we have also, I have written the co-teaching competencies which are like the standards for what you should look for, um, listen for and ask for as an administrator. So you could also get those. They're on my website, which is toteachllc.com. Yeah. And you can download it for free. There's a lesson plan template, um, examples of co-taught lessons. So I think going in and being able to watch co-teachers in action, giving them some feedback to support them, to help them grow. Um, not evaluative, not not negative, but just to give them some more ideas is really a great way to start. But could you also sort of do co-teaching with other professionals than teachers? Like uh, in Sweden, we have like a student health organization, like a counselor, a psychologist, and yes. a nurse. And so could absolutely, yeah. yeah. Right. So um, I even when I was a high school teacher in the United States, that for us, that's uh, grade nine to 12 before university or, or career. Um, and we had identified that we had some young ladies in our school who we thought were at risk of pregnancy. And I actually taught a unit where I brought in our school nurse and our school counselor. And the three of us did a unit over the course of a few months where we would work just with those young ladies for this very specific purpose. Um, but increasingly, we're seeing in the research where uh, speech language pathologists, which are speech teachers, because yeah. speech is not just oral speech, but also language. Yeah. And so many kids struggle with expressive and receptive language. So bringing them into a class instead of pulling the students out yeah. means that more students benefit. So those teachers could come in or those specialists could come in and do a station, or they could do a lesson with the classroom teacher. Um, counselors, certainly mental health and trauma is such a big deal right now. Yeah. Even principals can come in and yeah. teach lessons. And so the more that we have people who typically pull out, um, again, I've been working a lot in Denmark and Sweden, and in Denmark, they have something called PPR, which is their uh, pedagogische, psychologische something. I'm, <laughs> I, I killed it. Yeah. Sorry. But it's essentially what I think of as our school psychologists. Yeah. And they typically pull out students for their supports. But they asked me to come and do a keynote at one of their conferences to just even start thinking about the idea of bringing their strategies and their tools into the classroom mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's not just our kids with disabilities who need help with bullying or friendships or dealing with yeah. anger management. Yeah. yeah. So the more that can be brought into the classroom, that is just great. And 
I think we have to remember that it doesn't have to be a whole year or a whole semester. We can co-teach classes and units. Yeah, you could plan it in sort of a year cycle then. Because typically you have really highly skilled professionals that sort of only works, they are reactive, I take, when something has happened and failed instead of earlier. And unfortunately, that means those students then are pulled out of of their classes, they're missing more content, they're missing more social interactions. So we've got this really bad loop going on that just continues the failure instead of being proactive using co-teaching and universal design for learning. We know what the barriers are. We know that we're gonna have students who struggle with reading and with following directions and with behavior and with transitions. Mm -hmm. We are not shocked. We may not know exactly which ones are gonna need it at any one time, but if we're proactive in creating lessons that that remove those barriers, then more of our kids are gonna be successful and we're not gonna need the reactive uh, interventions. That would be great. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, in, in Sweden, we actually, I don't like it, but we have it, so we need to sort of handle it. We have like not just one curriculum, we have one curriculum for, sort of the normal sort of primary school and then another curriculum if you have an intellectual disability so they are two separate but often every teacher will experience uh, a a student with intellectual disability in their classroom Uh, so could maybe co-teaching be a way also to sort of manage that sort of diversity to sort of when you teach two curriculums in the same it should be one but it is two to, to manage that Yeah, absolutely. Um, That would be, uh, honestly, to try and do that alone would be a lot. But if we have two of us, I think that if if my background, um, by the way, I'm a a professor of special education. So for those who don't know that. um, So if I were the special education teacher and there were individuals with intellectual disabilities in this class and a second curriculum, I would be trying to find as many ways as possible to align what the students with an intellectual disability need to do with what the typical classroom students are doing. Yeah. So in stations, I we might be doing uh, math. And yeah. even if everyone else is solving quadratic equations and there's a child who is adding, yeah. we can still do that because it would still be, hey, come over here and we are doing problem solving. And your problems and that child's problems might be very, very different. But I would be able to manage that without feeling like that one child needs to go sit all by themselves in a separate area of the room and color or do something that's not academic. So we could definitely think with two people in the room, we can have more students, not just integrated, but truly included. And again, that's the goal because we will see all types of individuals once we leave school, right? Yeah. It's not that uncommon in Sweden that a student with ID, it could be like a small school, maybe not so many students with ID and not so many persons that will have the the competence to to teach them. Then they often can end up with an assistant outside of the classroom or in a small room or not included. Yeah. So maybe sort of, I'm just thinking aloud that maybe co-teaching could be sort of like a vaccine to that, like 
they, they need to be belonging to to group not yes. be outside yeah and be taught right. by teachers not I, I mean always the an assistant they're doing the best based on on what they can right. can contribute with in the United States, and I can't speak to Sweden on this, but it sounds like it's similar. In the United States, we have um, what we call paraprofessionals or assistants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's and the same. They yeah. have, yeah, they have the least amount of training. They have yeah. frequently no training at all. So for them to be with a child with an intellectual impairment um, is is criminal almost. It's fine if they're helping with physical yeah. work, hand over hand or transition or stuff, but the idea of leaving them for their education um, is really very difficult. And even the small schools, and we have the same thing um, where we have separate special schools, yeah. but they, they are not learning. And often it, it ends up looking like a bunch of children in, in wheelchairs or just watching TV or movies or doing very little things that are not academic. And we know, we absolutely know that kids, all kids can learn academic tasks yeah. and functional skills can be related to academics. So if these children were in a general education, typical classroom with co-teaching, they might have a paraprofessional in there as well. Yeah. But typically the paraprofessional would be then guided by the two co-teachers. Yeah. So what I often would see is say we're do stations. Now we've got three adults in the room. Yeah. And even though the the co-teachers are the ones who plan, they plan it, they engage it, and they assess it, they can still tell the paraprofessional, okay, work at the station, do this. And now all of the kids, including the children with ID, go through all of the stations. And each station can be differentiated so that the students who are gifted are being challenged. Yeah. That is, are, uh, that is not that easy. At least M many teachers, they sort of manage the eighty percent in the in the middle, but as difficult as with all the the tails. Right, right. It's yeah, the margins, the tails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and actually, I, I was just mentioning this to you before we officially started last week. I was the keynote speaker for a conference on twice exceptional learners yeah. at Cleveland State bands. University. Yeah. yeah, and so those are children who are gifted and have a disability, and the disability could be sensory, so they might be blind or deaf. It could be physical. It could be emotional. Um, it could be learning. Yeah. And don't think about those learners too often. But I like reminding everyone that the idea of differentiation actually started in gifted ed because uh, they, we think about it with special ed, but it started in yeah. gifted ed because those learners were not getting what they needed. So yeah. if I was working with a principal or a, a teacher who was maybe skeptical of co-teaching, I would suggest that two adults in the room, especially if one has special ed experience, we are going to be able to plan for the margins, for yeah. really challenging those students who are bored and can do more, and also supporting those kids who need additional uh, concrete materials or scaffolding or you know anything else for their learning. And sometimes those are the same groups. Mm. So yeah, having the, the two adults will help us really work with everybody if, if we have some training on <laughs> what to do. Because yeah. otherwise, unfortunately, we do see us just using one teach, one support. And that really doesn't have what we call the bang for the buck, meaning you're not going to get different outcomes for students 
if we're not changing what teachers are doing as well. Just a reflection, I visited many schools in a number of countries and I think I've never visited a school that has been successful with diversity that hasn't used station teaching in some way. Yeah. I've seen that always, I think. I think we have to. Yeah. We need to have the small student to teacher ratio. Yeah. And the thing about, and stations is my favorite of the different co-teaching approaches because it is kinesthetic. Students yeah. get up and move. Yeah. And I want to clarify, it's not the same thing as cooperative learning groups. No. Those are good. Love, I, love it when the kids get together to work. But in these, they're doing different things at different, uh, in, yeah. at the different stations. Yeah. So they're moving um, in some stations, yeah. they can collaborate in other stations. They can work alone. Yeah. Um, the teachers can be telling them what to do and being right there with them, or it could be an independent type activity where they're problem solving or do it using creativity. Um, but yeah, in order for us to truly address the diversity of, of learning needs, of language, of racial and gender differences, like there's so many, I mean, diversity is huge. Yeah. And if we think yeah. we do it with whole group instruction, we're, you know, I don't know what we're thinking because it's <laughs> not going to work. No, I agree. I think that is something that our teachers in Sweden maybe should focus even more on. Of course, a, a lot of teachers are already doing that, but do that right. really in a structured manner and and have it planned and have as, as sort of the every week of the the teaching. Yeah, yeah. I was and, afraid and that maybe I was thinking about it only because I like because the. They move. I like that from yeah. the <laughs> perspective. I know some teachers they don't they like, like it because to lead of that too. sort of activities, and if they use stations, they don't need to. It is resolved. Just yeah, yeah. And I don't know uh, if you find this, Kenneth, but I definitely I see stations or centers used a lot more with the younger children. Yeah, and as the kids get older. Our teachers yeah. seem to yeah lose it and feel like, oh, that's a, a younger kid thing. But as I, I mentioned, know. I work with older kids a lot, and I have yet to do one station with with anybody. I, in fact, a couple of weeks ago, I was doing work it, in Switzerland at the international yeah. school, and I did stations with uh, eighth graders for, for their language arts class yeah. and for their math class. And every single time I've done stations with any group of kids they have enjoyed it they yeah. felt like oh this class went quickly oh i got so much done that yeah. was fun and yet they're still doing the content that we need them to do as teachers yeah. but we're being a little bit more creative so it feels and and we all have talked about how students have lost the ability to concentrate yeah so we feel the like they can't yeah. yeah if they can't sit through a whole lesson then why are we trying to do that and yeah. force something that isn't going to teach them yeah i think it's like that in sweden a lot and it's also like up to grade six in sweden the students are out on breaks outside and move every break and then they start grade seven and they are inside and they sit down uh, and they stop I, doing stations yeah when i right we work against them when i train teachers which is what i do now right at the yeah. university and when i go around um with my educational consulting company to teach yeah. teachers need to move every yeah. time i could easily talk about research for six hours um but 
they need they need the same thing kids need. So if you as an adult realize you don't want someone to lecture at you for an hour or six oh. hours, yeah. then think about that. Like the yeah. kids definitely need it. So what can we do that keeps them academically and cognitively engaged, yeah. but still builds in one to two minutes to move? And so doing little brain breaks, but also in this way, just moving them from station to station means you're also thinking about what can they do for, say, 15 to 20 minutes and keep them really on. Then they have a two minute break. Then they're really on something else. So, yeah, we have to plan it a little bit, but it makes such a difference because we're not losing time asking them to sit down, asking them to pay attention, asking them to pick up their heads or not look out the window. So it's it really makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So when you sort of coach teachers, do you work anything with how they organize their classrooms? Yes, absolutely. Um, So there are things um, I do a lot of training on co-teaching and we will talk about all the different co-teaching models. But let's say, for example, parallel teaching. Parallel teaching is where we divide the class in half. So each of us has the same now, or has a half of the room. If we have another classroom or space, that's great because we have to watch our time, space, and noise. Yeah. And if I have my own room and half of the class, then I don't have to watch that so much, but we still have to figure out our time. But let's say we have to use the same classroom. Yeah. So one of the things that I would talk to them about is look around your classroom. Where are the distractions? If you have a large window, for example, then maybe you don't want the students facing the window. Um, If you have a a smart board in your room, do you have the availability of two smart boards or do you have a smart board and maybe an easel that you could bring in to write on or sticky chart paper to put on the walls? And then the teachers, we wanna make sure that the teachers can see each other, not the kids. So they are looking at each other and can say, if one of them gets loud, you can kind of get eye contact with your partner and say, hey, could could you bring it down a little bit? You know, yeah. use some some nonverbal gestures. But if the kids are looking at each other, then they can be riling each other up. And we want to make sure that teachers' voices are only talking to the group in front of them. Yeah. So I will, like, show them different rooms, how they can be set up. We'll talk about how stations can be set up and where they should yeah. be, you know, moving them around. Um, trying to make sure that if you have multiple stations in the same room, that yeah. they are not all loud stations but maybe there's a station where the kids have to work quietly yeah um that kind of thing so yeah all of that is stuff that is thoughtful and takes some time and and practice really just like when you first started teaching you start learning things like oh wow i shouldn't yell at the kids it's better if i bring peace down (laughs) but we do the same thing in in co-teaching as well yeah i mean Sometimes people that started to like station teaching or working like uh, cooperative learning as well, they start to sort of organize their classrooms in groups as a as a base. And sometimes my experience that teachers, if they have difficulties in sort of in owning their classroom, they would like to have them sitting one on one or two two facing the teacher. Uh, right. Yes, I, I, I talked to sorry, I talked to Professor Mark Brackett at Yale, who's working a lot with social emotional learning. 
And he, he, his opinion is that it's not so good for their psychic health or social behaviors to be just looking into the other's backs to never mm-hmm. see them. So he, he's in favor on, on sitting sort of in groups, like in stations as a base then. Yeah, I don't I don't have any problem with that. For me, it's yeah. more about flexible grouping. Yeah, yeah. Um, because the only problem I've seen is that some teachers will put everyone in little small groups. Yeah. And that becomes their de facto. They don't do anything but yeah. cooperative yeah. learning groups. Yeah. And so for me, I do something called the configuration Olympics. And you'll like yeah. Olympics because I know you're a very yeah, uh, I like that. Yeah. physical yeah. sports guy. But the uh, for a configuration is a way that you set up your room. So what we will do is I will work with my co-teacher and on very large sheets of paper, we draw all the different ways that our room could be set up. So when they're facing forward, that might be a then when in two groups, like the whole we split into two large groups could be B. And yeah. then stations could be stations of three could be C, four stations could be D, et cetera. And we have yeah. all these different pictures drawn on big pieces of paper and we put them up in the classroom so that the students can see them. And then at the first few weeks of school, we say, okay, we're doing the configuration Olympics and we're going to see how long it takes you to get yeah. into these different configurations. Yeah. So we'll hold a stopwatch or now a smartphone, but I used yeah. to like a stopwatch because it yeah. felt like you know, sports. Yeah. And so go get into configuration D. And we had to see how quickly they could move their chairs and tables yeah. because a lot of teachers will say, oh, I, I it takes too much time to yeah. move. So they don't move it for that. Yeah. And yet kids can train, move their chairs yeah. And, yeah, kids can move their chairs and tables in. I've seen kindergartners do it in less than a minute. So um, we can have them te- teach them how to do it, but make it fun, make it feel like a game and even say, oh, well, that was good. It was you know, it took you a minute and four seconds. Uh, my other class can do it in, you know, a minute and two seconds, but that was still good. And then they're like, oh, let's do it again. We can beat it. We can beat it. So yeah. we make it a game and then they learn how to do it. And then, yeah, whatever your base is, I, I do like the group space. I have no problem with that. My only concern is when teachers just always keep everything the same. Yeah. And yeah. if they say, oh, it just takes too long or we don't have a lot of space, get kids up, make them stand have a group where kids are standing or sitting on the floor or going outside instead of just always in the same spot. Yeah. And again, two teachers makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Is there any more benefits of co-teaching that you haven't mentioned or any more challenges that people should know about? Oh, there's more of both, Kenneth. (laughs) I have 18 books, so there's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but I maybe think... if we if we end up with just giving a final recommendation, sure. the most important thing to think about for for teachers who want to do it and for principals who would like to initiate right. it. Yeah. Well, I think both the the biggest positive and barrier are kind of the same thing, and that is co-planning. Yeah. It, even teachers who get along and they're in the room and they're joking with each other and they're getting along with the kids, that's good. But it doesn't allow for that really thoughtful, intentional, proactive differentiation. And that's what we're trying for. So that is the best thing we could do. And the reason it's the barrier is because, and this goes to principals, (laughs) if you haven't thought about how to help your teachers find time, 
and really built it into your system because even teachers who like each other and maybe they have breakfast or lunch together or they meet on the weekends, it's not sustainable that way. And it's Mm. not going to become part of your institution and become part of just what you do as a school. So it has to be built into the schedule somehow. And then teachers need to recognize that it's there and really be held accountable to spending their time co-planning and not socializing or saying, oh, I have too many administrative tasks that I have to go do instead, but that we really use that time because that is where we ultimately, in all of our research, that's where we find the biggest outcome is when both of these educators have planned together thoughtfully and intentionally and then did that instruction with their students. Yeah. So as a principal, I need to build that into the system and sort of help with priorities, yes. And I would say principals, talk to your teachers about different options for that because not all teachers want planning time in the same way. So that kind of goes back to universal design for learning too, being more creative and can it in our book, in our our teacher's toolbox, our toolkit book, we provided a bunch of different ways of finding time and even individuals managing their own time because yeah, that is yeah. such that word time comes up every single time yeah. that I work <laughs> with <laughs> educators. Every time it's time. Yeah. Okay. That was uh, a perfect final part of this talk. Thank you Our so time much is for up. <laughs> contributing to Swedish teachers and principals. I love it. And I love coming to Sweden. Every time I come, I learn more that I bring to the other countries and places that I I go as well. I think we all can learn from one another. So thank you for having me here. And I hope I'm coming back to Sweden sometime soon to maybe talk about our book or do some more training for other other people who want training on UDL yeah. or, or co-teaching. Yeah, I hope so too. And most probably people who have listened to this as well. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Kenneth. Good to see you again.